Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. If you've ever played a sport, you've likely had a coach. You may have had coaches under other circumstances, like in the performing arts or theater. But have you ever had a coach in your career as a physician? What exactly would a coach be in that context? Is it different from a mentor in some way? These questions become all the more relevant as graduate medical education bodies are beginning to mandate coaching as part of the learning process in addition to requirements for mentorship. Once a physician graduates from training, there usually isn't any additional skills coaching to improve or maintain clinical skills. So today we're talking about coaching and mentoring in medical education and beyond. And to talk about this, we have two authors of a recent AEM education and training article entitled Clinical Improvement Interventions for Residents and Practicing Physicians, a scoping review of coaching and mentoring for practice improvement. We have lead author Casey McKenzie with us, who is a resident in emergency medicine at McMaster University. Prior to medicine, she completed a degree in mechanical engineering and worked in management consulting, which led to an interest in the topic of coaching. Corresponding author Dr. Sean Mondu is an assistant professor in the Division of Emergency Medicine at McMaster, and I'm so pleased to be speaking with both of them today. So hello, Dr. Mundu and Dr. McKenzie. It's so great to have you here on the podcast with us today to talk about your paper. So for some of us old fogies, the concept of coaching is limited in our minds to sports or, you know, maybe we've heard of it in the context of a life coach or a career coach. I think of that much more really in the business world. Um, I did have a conversation with someone who's now a life and career coach for academic physicians um, in emergency medicine at Pittsburgh, which I thought was fascinating. That's Dr. Dorfman. But this concept of having a coach helping us with clinical skills seems like something that not many of us have really given a lot of thought to, certainly not me. So um, to set the stage for us, what has led to the, the rise of this idea in medicine? Hi, this is Dr. McKenzie. I totally agree that the word coach, it tends to bring to mind more an image of, you know, maybe someone standing on a football field blowing a whistle versus something we'd see in the hospital. But really, the concept of coaching, which is breaking down performance into workable parts, is a universal concept. So, for example, professional basketball players don't stop training when they master the mechanics of shooting a basketball. They'll use a coach um, regularly to condition their muscles, to finesse technique, to understand positioning and pacing, and really attack the game from all angles. Medicine obviously requires a different skill set than basketball, but the process of training is really no different. For example, uh, a simple reduction of a distal radius fracture is more than just about getting the bone back into the right place, but it's knowing how to apply traction, how to sedate, how to put in a block, how to prep the room, how to troubleshoot, how to use the C-arm for x-rays. As professionals, I think we're really going to spend our careers finessing these skills, and we need the direct observation and feedback to do this effectively that comes with coaching. Excellent. And in your paper, in your introduction, you mentioned an Atul Gawande article from The New Yorker about having a coach in the OR. Um, just what was the upshot of that article? I haven't read it. 
So that was an article uh, by a staff surgeon, Dr. Gawande, and he talked about reaching a professional plateau about eight years into his practice. And he was a former competitive tennis player, and he really wanted to see if he could use a coach in the OR the same way he could use a coach on the court. Uh, So he employed a retired surgeon to watch his operations either in person or on video, and this surgeon would give him feedback on everything from how to drape, how to hold his posture, and which tools to use. And at the time when I read this, I was kind of a timid medical student, and so the idea that a staff physician would have to work on these kind of details was pretty novel. And what was really cool was that over the months he worked with this coach, he saw his complication rates go down. Um, And of course, this was all anecdotal and not evidence-based, but still a fascinating anecdote that raises the question of why we don't use coaches more often in a profession that is so heavily hands-on and reliant on skills. Awesome. So, So first, let's talk about the definition of coaching in the setting of medical education Uh, and in the setting of your paper. So there are all these words these days that I have trouble myself keeping straight and mentors, advisors, uh, sponsors, teachers, advocates, uh, and now we have coaches. So where, so it just helped me, where does coach fit into this spectrum? Yeah, so Gita, thanks again for having us. Uh, My name's Sean, I'm one of the staff emergency docs up here at McMaster as well, and Casey and I worked on this article. I guess the one thing is, is maybe I'll bring you back to the first question a little bit uh, to the sense of what has led to the rise of the idea of coaching um, in medicine. And truth be told, it's, it's difficult to understand why it is where it is and why it has suddenly begun to appear in the language that's found around continuous development and coaching in residency training and in um, ongoing training. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Rich Winters, who has a a hat model that he uses to discuss the the variety of um, of models of education, which go from you know all the ones you've described. So so you know, uh, educator, uh, mentor, coach, advocate, sponsor, which all really imply um, different things. And so for us, the question was one, you know, what is coaching um, in this context? And the first thing I would say is the business view of coaching is really um, the the coaching that we're talking about when we talk about this hat model that Dr. Winters puts out. And really being a good coach in this way, like a business coach or a career coach is, is often quite difficult. It requires training and it's really a set of questioning and analysis skills that help somebody dig deeper into their motivations, into their attitudes, into their biases and helps kind of cognitively de-bias them in some way. But we also have this idea of coaching that we've applied previously, that we previously talked about in in sports. And so this is much more applicable to things like a skill. And so this is the application that we draw from sports. It's the application we draw from Dr. Gawande's article. Um, And it's really, you know, the coaching on the the biomechanics of a skill or or, um, in the operating room or in direct observation. And the interesting part between those two things for me anyway, is that the, the coaching element and the second part when it comes to sports is that it's really easy to define what good is, you know, when we're working on shot mechanics in basketball or shot mechanics in hockey, I have to inject that Canadian reference, my apologies. <laughs> um, you know, we, we know exactly what that means. We can easily define what a successful shot is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can measure outcomes that way. But when you start talking about business coaching or career coaching or coaching in a non-skill base, maybe a cognitive skill instead of a, a, a mechanical skill, um, it's, it's become somewhat less clear what success is. 
And when it, when you use coaching more broadly in the sense of, I want you to be a better doctor. Um, there's so many ways you can parse that out and coaching for the whole slate somewhat becomes somewhat more difficult. Casey, do you have anything to add? Yeah. So I think Sean covered it really well, but I, I guess when it comes down to definitions and breaking apart, like all these words that kind of fall into the same family and mean the same thing. So coach, mentor, teacher, um, the two most common ones we found that were used interchangeably were often mentor and coach. Um, and what we found was that the big difference is that a coach tends to work on more specific skills through multiple iterations whereas a mentor was kind of defined more as providing overall guidance and sharing their wisdom and acumen with their mentee. Um, so yeah, for example, a coach will work with you to improve your sutures versus a mentor will just help you navigate your professional life and philosophy. Mm-hmm. But even there, there's an important difference, actually. So so when you talk about you know helping you with sutures or bone mm-hmm. reductions or something like that, once again, we're back to this very skill-focused definition of coaching. When we get back to this career definition of coaching, really, when you look into what that means, it really means taking a step back and not making decisions for anybody. It actually means being less instructional and more exploratory. And and that definition of coaching um, may be more difficult to apply, actually, in the healthcare setting. Whereas in mentorship, we often see mentors helping people make decisions and, and interjecting with their own opinions and guiding people along, whereas that, in fact, is not what we do in coaching at least coaching in the professional development context and not the skill-based coaching. Fascinating. Um, And you also note in your paper that even though these definitions are confusing to many, uh, and this is a relatively new concept in medicine, there are already graduate medical education programs that are encouraging or mandating the use of coaching for trainees. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So in Canada, we have a group called the Royal College, which is basically our ACGME, and they have a um, CBD and coaching website. In fact, I, I would encourage any of the readers who are interested in the model that I'm going to talk about to head to their website. And CBD means um, competency by design. Yes, there might be some confusion over that. Right. And so we're, we're not CPD, I mean CBD. Um, not that like we didn't have enough acronyms already in the educational sphere, but I suppose the, the goal here is that we're moving towards uh, in Canada, at least education that's focused largely on residents demonstrating competence in individual skills or entrustable professional acts um, in order for us to designate them as being competent in the specialty. And so part of that now, the language that's used around coaching people in the or educating people in the moment around these entrustable professional activities is actually coaching. Um, And they talk about coaching in the moment, which is kind of creating a safe learning environment and direct observation with constructive conversations around um, the thought processes that happened in and around the the act that was observed and possibly even the skills that were used and some finessing around the skills. And then there's a secondary element, which is called coaching over time, which is really the progression of competence over time with a specific individual or specific set of individuals within the program. Um, that, you know, are co-creating learning goals with you and are gaining data from multiple other observations and allow the learner to kind of self-regulate their learning skills, which essentially feeds into the resident learning model and eventually to the competency committee uh, for every program. And so there's this nice triangular diagram that you can find on the website that kind of, you know, motivates and and shows you what this may look like uh, in the long term. Um, But 
really what's interesting for us is that already, despite um, some of the the lack of clarity around the coaching terms, it's being actively used in a postgraduate certifying body, which seems like it's maybe putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Right. So now I'm beginning to see why your study was needed. But tell me what in particular in so tell me what in particular inspired you to design this study and what you were hoping to find out. Yeah, so I think we came up with this idea about coaching um, with Dr. It was initially me and Dr. Teresa Chan, another emergency physician here at McMaster. Um, and I came to medicine after a career in management consulting. And at the company I was at, professional development coaching was kind of the norm. Mm. Every employee there, no matter how junior or senior, were, or senior you were, so from consultants to partners, everyone had a coach and they helped you formulate your career objectives and achieve these goals by breaking them down into workable parts over time. Um, I was kind of surprised actually when I started medicine that most of my teaching in med school was either didactic or was kind of informal feedback. Um, and I didn't really see any coaching. Uh, Dr. Chan and I talked about um, kind of research ideas, knowing that I wanted to get involved more on the med ed side. And she, you know, pinned Sean as someone who'd really be able to help us out with this case. Um, and we decided to kind of look at coaching and medicine and kind of get an idea of the full lay of the land and understand how or if it had been implemented in our field. Um, and in that way, it's kind of funny because it became a little bit meta because there is Dr. Chan and Sean, who are both coaching me as we were writing this paper on coaching. Um, so lots of learning experiences for me. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I think it was interesting because what we all did is took this lens that we already had and injected it onto a question that we all needed answered. And my personal lens is that I, my shtick is mostly in quality improvement and in operations in our local hospitals. And so for me to understand providing data to practicing clinicians um, and knowing the value of that, which is there, but not dramatic and saying, well, how do we augment just data feedback to clinicians and is coaching the next step? You know, then in walks Casey and Teresa Chan with this great project <laughs> idea that seems to, you know, at least partially uh, address some of the similar problems. And so it was a, it was a nice segue for me. And then in the end, the question for, for my principal questions were, well, what is the definition of coaching in medicine? And what does that exactly mean? Um, what is the evidence that coaching improves educational outcomes in medicine, uh, both at the postgraduate and practicing physician level? And then what is, you know, what is our understanding of how successful coaching interventions were designed? Um, and how might we do that locally? And really, I can't categorically say we have a strong definition for any of these things or a strong answer for any of these things. Well, let's get into the meat of, of your study. So let's talk about the design. And you did a scoping review, which actually has a definition. Um, so <laughs> it sounds just descriptive, but you actually, but there is an actual definition of a scoping review. So could you tell us what a scoping review is and why you chose that approach? Yeah, so the layman definition of a scoping review is largely um, a review whereby you're looking to map the literature in a particular topic or research area. Um, and the goal is that it provides you with an opportunity to identify key concepts or gaps in the research um, and the evidence that informs practice. And so I'm not approaching this in the way that I might with a systematic review. I don't have a focused question, something like, um, does coaching achieve better Kirkpatrick outcomes than mentorship? That's not really what I'm coming at it 
with. Really what I'm saying is, what is the literature demonstrate on this idea of coaching and medicine? And can I grab all the literature on the current state of affairs to give me a picture of what's actually happening in that sphere and in that space? Great. So you reviewed articles from 1960 to 2018, which does seem very scoping, from PubMed and Google Scholar. So tell us about how you did those searches. Um, you included the term mentoring also. Um, we can talk about that in a second. And why you use both of those databases? Yeah, so we did go pretty old school back to 1960 for our scoping review. Um, but we did that because we really wanted to take a broad look at how coaching has been used in medicine uh, through the ages. Um, and as the ages, we defined as hey, watch it, watch it. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a very uh, recent year. <laughs> uh, we decided to add Google Scholar to our PubMed searches as we wanted to capture fields outside of medicine in case, you know, other industries maybe talked about the use of coaching in medicine. Um, and then regarding the use of the term mentoring, like as you know from our earlier discussion, mentoring is often used interchangeably with coaching without clear definitions for either. Um, so we really just didn't want to miss anything. And this obviously increased the amount of data we had to sift through to kind of see when people use the word mentoring, if they're really talking about coaching, but using the word mentoring. Um, but we just really wanted to do a thorough investigation of, every, of all the literature out there. Great. Uh, okay, you did your search. And then what did you do? Yeah, so after uh, we did our search, we kind of slowly started um, we slowly started going through things. We had, I think Sean described it as the least amount of fun he'd had in a long time. Yes. <laughs> um, so we split it up amongst our, the three investigators. So Dr. Chan, Sean, and myself, we went through first by titles to see what we could exclude um, with kind of a low threshold for anything we thought could be relevant to our study. Uh, then we went through the abstracts for the papers that were selected by, like after the title review, we went to abstracts, we looked at the abstracts, we excluded some there, then we did a full text review. Um, and then after that, once we had selected those final articles, we uh, did our data extraction via standardized Google survey. Okay, so now let's talk about what you found. So in terms of your results, just just walk us through them. Yeah, so there's... There's about 3,400 papers that were initially resulted in our initial search, and uh, we did a full text review of about 190 articles and included just over 120 in our final paper. Um, the vast majority of the articles included were on mentorship at about 65%, and we only ended up finding about 20 articles that were either exclusively on coaching or addressed some element of coaching and mentorship. The lion's share of these, so 70% were, were done in North America, or at least were reported uh, from North American settings. And about 60% of the articles were descriptive or narrative. So here we're talking about uh, individuals describing mentorship programs within their residency program or within their um, uh, continuous professional development structure with no real evaluation of outcomes or the narrative were just essentially commentaries on how things are done in their local setting or opinion pieces on the value of mentorship or coaching. Only about 20% were knowledge synthesis articles. So here we're talking about um, systematic reviews, scoping reviews. Um, and the other thing we included in that 20% were surveys about either desires around um, coaching and mentorship or perceptions of the value of coaching and mentorship. And when we 
kind of put these on the um, Kirkpatrick evaluation scale for their impact and, and how they may have affected individuals. Um, only 12 of these articles attained level three or level four, which are essentially behavioral change or organizational performance change um, in the, the, the individuals that participated uh, in the programs. So if I'm, if I'm to summarize this, the studies on coaching were generally of low methodological quality relatively low enrollment and really did not evaluate the learner's ability to retain skills over the long term. Um, surgical specialties were really early adopters of skill-based coaching, um, but as we previously said, um, skill-based coaching and um, non-skill-based coaching may be different entities. And maybe most interesting, there was a significant confounding even in our literature around the terms of mentorship and coaching. Okay, are there any limitations of this study that you'd like to highlight? Well, although we think our literature search was relatively broad uh, at 3,400 articles, we definitely um, would say that we missed, you know, great literature conference abstracts. We didn't search those. Hmm. Um, And we explicitly made it a point to not search textbook chapters um, that, that may have been included in the work, mostly because we wanted to evaluate the application of knowledge and the possible change in outcomes rather than simply the didactic content of either mentorship or coaching. Um, I have to say that the data abstraction was was mostly done by me, and so that's obviously a limitation, but um, we were heavily into it at that time, and, and Casey was applying for her residency program <laughs> and was successful here, so I think it was a good decision. I'm sure you did an excellent job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and... There's a, a ton of methods used in this paper, which are not homogeneous in any way. And so the value of coaching really can't be assessed in that we didn't include only um, RCTs on coaching. And so, you know, there's no there's no forest plot here about the value of coaching. And then the, um, the terms analogous to mentorship and coaching that may have been included in literature were definitely not searched for. So, you know, you'll find individuals who talk about audit and feedback, but within audit and feedback include some element of peer coaching or peer mentorship. Uh, some people use the term group review. We just, we weren't as expansive in including those terms, um, mostly because we wanted to be more focused on this idea of mentorship and coaching together. So those would be the main limitations, I think, of, of this paper. So what do your findings say to us about how ready we are to mandate the use of coaching in GME? What do you, what do you feel like has to happen next? I, just in terms of this particular issue and then um, research that might need to be done next. Well, the first thing I would say to you is, what do you mean by coaching? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> right? And so I think that's the biggest thing we need to sort out is, is are we talking about skill-based coaching? Are we talking about career coaching? Are we talking about... Um, you know, this idea of helping people explore their own outcomes. Are we, are we, are we totally leaving this idea of mentorship behind? Are we done with that? What is the place of mentorship? What is the place of coaching? How do they work together? So there's all of these questions around um, what we've been doing and how that continues through what we will do and how we define coaching. So the, the first biggest problem for me is really having a good, strong definition of what coaching means Um, and coaching both in the skill-based like, you know, procedural skill based and, and then coaching in in the context that are procedural skills. So th- th- that's the first big thing. 
And then the next thing really is what is the appropriate place for teaching, for mentorship, for coaching, for advocacy, for sponsorship? And when do we use each for the best possible educational outcomes and how do they augment each other? And those are the big next questions for me. I, I personally would like to see a good, strong definition be put out in the literature that everybody can get behind. And then the next thing I would see is, would like to see is, you know, maybe two residency programs um, um, have have some randomized trialing of, of a coaching framework that that they might um, feel it is, is, is spreadable or marketable and, and go from there. That, that would be the next thing for me. Awesome. Well, I thank you both for your time and your ideas in this article. I think it's fodder for some really interesting discussions to come. So thank you very much. Thank you, Gia. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.